0: We're joined this week by Jacob Silverman. He's now a staff writer for The New Republic and has written about technology and cryptocurrency. Welcome to the show, Jacob.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I read an article last week in The Decrypt, and I wonder if you saw it, but it's by Ben Munster, and the the title of it was Bitcoin's Critics, a Flourishing No-Coiner Cottage Industry. And it sort of at once intimates that... Or crypto skeptical journalists are at once like basement dwelling, like you know losers, and also like shills and ops for like the the state. I guess the SEC. I don't. I don't know who it's. Um, And so, so my my question for you was, um, you know, how high the coin splash when you dive, you know, like (laughs) Scrooge McDuck into. into your money pool, which is ostensibly also in your mother's basement.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I, I probably would save some money if I lived in my parents' basement, but um, <laughs> I could use that right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, people do ask a lot about like or accuse you of certain motivations or biases when you're writing about this stuff. Um, I don't have any crypto. Uh, I don't really have any stocks either. Um, you know, I'm not a, a very wealthy guy. I um, grew up pretty comfortably, though. Um, you know, I do this because I, I find it interesting and. It's a very, I guess, dynamic sort of a plain word, but like it, it is a. There's stuff happening every day. It's always very bizarre and brazen. There are a lot of absurdities. So that that's sort of one reason why it interests me. But I also think, yeah, there is this question about what kind of expertise you bring to crypto, whether you have real experience trading it, buying the stuff, being on exchanges. Um, you know, I think especially as a critic, it's important to be pretty well versed. But I also think there's so much money and attention and really power and companies and uh, behind crypto and, and pushing it and advertising it and selling it towards us that I think we need some critics and we need some strident critics too. Mm -hmm. And people who don't necessarily have skin in the game, but who are more interested in it because, you know, they're fascinated by it or they want to uncover where the money's coming from or, or they have, you know, perhaps other competing motivations. Right. Like, you know,
0: just a year ago, I, started thinking about it mostly because I, I knew Bennett Tomlin and, oh, yeah. He's and yeah, and he was available to come on like the first episode of our show. And, and it just sort of, you know, sort of rabbit hold on me a little bit to the point where like, you know, back in November we were uh, doing the, the series about Joel Greenberg and like fraud in Seminole County and his connections to sort of various uh, crypto projects and everything. Um, and at this point I, it's like incredibly exciting to me. But for me, there's like this, like almost like sort of fatalism uh, in it. Like I, 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 I suspect um, that cryptocurrency embodies like not just our present moment, but I'm, I'm also, I fear a little bit that it's a glimpse of the future. Um, And, and so I, I wonder like how sort of, Articulated your motives are as far as like cryptocurrency and its um its place in the future right? and, and sure. what you think it becomes.
1: Well, I think also to, to briefly address something you mentioned at the beginning too is that you know there's this assumption that if you're criticizing crypto, uh, especially because it presents itself as a reaction to mainstream finance, that you're somehow a shill for or a defender of the status quo of of Wall Street or the SEC or something like that. I mean, I actually wouldn't mind the SEC doing some enforcement, but I'm no uh, on crypto, but I'm no fan of, you know, Wall Street. I mean, my main concern is that in a lot of ways, crypto does represent our future, but also crypto represents, I think, a worse future. Uh, crypto in, in general represents more financialization of, of the economy and, and of everyday life. Um, just making you you pay for more stuff, attaching price tags and tokens to more aspects of online life, especially, but just life in general. And another thing, you know, crypto is obviously has some libertarian infusion in it or or, or uh, foundation behind it and i think in a lot of ways that manifests itself in how the crypto economy works which is that if you lose money it's it's you're out of luck if you get scammed you're pretty much out of luck um you're really on your own you're sort of you know there's sort of a term like um homo economicus like the the, the sort of economic actor a human as an right. economic actor so i feel like there's something happening here like homo cryptonomicus or something like that yeah where um kind of a a convergence of of the human uh, uh, the member of society is solely an economic actor mixed with what crypto does which is it it kind of turbocharges some of the things we know about capitalism and about sort of the libertarian unfettered side of capitalism and makes them even even stronger even more dramatic so i could totally see crypto representing that kind of future yeah it seems to me that there's like kind of this
0: crisis of um you know, what some people might call the falling marginal rate of profit as the finite material in the world starts to run out. Uh, capital has to search out other like frontiers, you know, essentially to, to, you know, to conquer. Right. And I think that the, the internet and the and technology in general kind of represents a way to invent new territory the, for capital. Digital to, real
2: estate. the big right, Yeah, that, right? absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, um, and, and so I think that that is also somewhere in, you know, in that transformation of, of us into homo economicus. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think they're looking for new territories to conquer. Um, it is sort of a, a frontier, as you say. I mean, even that, that kind of word is used sometimes. Or, you know, to be a little more pointed about it, sort of colonialist or expansionist language and stuff. I mean, I think in what's now called Web2, sort of the social media surveillance capitalist model, the frontier or the thing to be mined for value was us, was our data and our behaviors, our clicks, and where we, right. uh, how we interact with the website. I mean, Facebook collects all of that. Um, now I think that it, it's basically um, creating microtransactions everywhere and making sort of your experience of, at least online life, be more financialized and more done through your crypto wallet rather than, say, a web browser. Um, so I think that that's sort of... The frontier that's now being maybe colonized or explored, I think, it's not quite as clear as like oh, just tracking people's user behavior. But it seems to be, you know, how much stuff can we financialize? How many new protocols can we introduce? Um, How many things can we get people to gamble on that they weren't before? Um, And I think, you know, for for some people, that does create new opportunities for speculation and even profit. But I I think it's safe to say that for a lot of people, um, it, it, it 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 leaves them worse off and. And, again, this comes back to sort of the libertarian idea, which is that, you know, the crypto maxis, they're not joking, I think, some of them at least, that they want crypto or Bitcoin to replace the the dollar. They think fiat is flawed, or at least they claim to. And, look, you can want that. But if that happens, one, it's going to be the downfall of American society just by having the dollar collapse. But also, lots of people are not going to be able to use it, elderly people, people who don't have much tech skill. I mean the tools aren't really there for mass adoption even. So that, that to me sort of speaks again to this sort of you're on your own quality for a lot of this stuff. But you're yeah. you're assumed that if you know if you if you know better, you're supposed to be doing it because um, this is the way of the future, of course.
2: Yeah. So I was like browsing um our Twitter feed for the podcast the other day, and I Jacob, I think it may have been you that retweeted this, and I sent it to Michael. Mm. Um and it was uh, it was a retweet that said this is all building toward big companies, paying workers in their own made up cryptocurrencies. Everybody realizes that, right? And yeah, I saw that and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever read in my life. And it was was funny because my, my mom works for a major insurance company and I was like, Hey, are you ready to get paid in so-and-so coin from your, you know, (laughs) your company? So yeah, I think that
0: this has always been at the forefront of my fears or, uh, the, and, and also the thing that sort of interested me in it as well is that it's it's that. And, and that it seems like if you had a sufficiently large company um, that was willing to like sort of take the loss of whatever would happen in the short run of saying, okay, well, you can only buy things from Amazon with Amazon coin, like whatever the the front end loss of that would be, Amazon is, is big enough that it could probably transition that into into something of actual like value and with an actual use Mm -hmm. case and all this sort of stuff but then what does amazon become at the point at which it has its own currency right and what we're really talking about there is you know the absolute like uh, if not subordination of the state to private power but at least like uh, an equity between state power and private power
1: yeah. I think in, in some ways it's sort of a return to 19th century company towns or something like that. I mean, I'm not the first to bring that up. In a lot of ways, what we're dealing with here is private money, you know, corporations or companies giving out their own money. And that was a, ni- a 19th century thing. I mean, it's been in other places and other eras, but, you know, in the, in the West, speaking of the frontier, um, when the railroads are being built and things like that, you had companies and railroads, especially making their own money your own bonds and for for a while that could work, uh, you know it depends. Um, obviously, you have all kinds of problems with that that sort of thing and wildcat banking. But in a lot of ways, we're, we're reliving that right now, I think. And there are ways in which, of course, you could imagine it happening with some of these big companies. I mean, I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. But you know, Facebook tried to introduce a stable coin and they've continually right. st- scaled down their efforts. But Facebook has also done things like build housing for their workers. So um, you can imagine one of these big. Goliath wanting to have sort of a 360 degree view or or possible control over their workers, I think it, it makes some sense. Even though, it, yeah, it is troubling. It's another way to to kind of bind people to uh, a, a micro economy or a certain economy mm-hmm. that can be more carefully controlled. I think
0: the decentralization of currency like represents a sort of a step backwards like on like the civilizational scale that like the efforts to sort of centralize that you know even very quite literally in the united states history you know one of the the major projects of the early republic was to get you know all of these you know states you know former colonies onto one currency because it was it's it is inefficient for an economy to be running all of these different, you know, currencies to me, like that's one of the more interesting things in crypto is, is to think about, you know, decline uh, of our, you know, of our states and our institutions and that it should be no surprise then that one of the first things to go is like this, the coherent monopoly of state power over currency and everything.
2: Yeah. Well, like one thing we've talked about is that like, Okay, so we, we have we have the prospect of structural, structural decline going on right now. And crypto is seen by a lot of people as this, like, democratizing thing. And we've talked about this, Michael. Like, But, you know, for it to be democratized um, in the way these folks want it to be, it needs to be widely available, you know, for working class people to use. Well, it just so happens that, you know, most of these coins, Bitcoin, I mean, you, you see Elon Musk and Tesla spending, you know, billions of dollars buying up you know most of like the bitcoin market or whatever so it's like for like the chance for this to have any sort of like benefit for democracy to me has already gone out the door basically and it's just gonna run wild so
1: yeah i think there there are a few issues there that you're pointing to which is one you know there's a basic distinction that someone that we all i think have to make when we when we think about this stuff which is i'm not a big fan of the state of the state or state power but you know, in the end, I, I think about it, and I do think that money probably needs to be issued from the state. It needs to be a public good, subject to political control, no matter how messy. Um, as soon as you start privatizing money, which is basically what we're doing here, it it becomes chaotic, and it can and it can become easily compromised in, in mm-hmm. a lot of the ways. We sort of refer to, I mean, just look at the crypto markets, including Bitcoin. I mean, which which are incredibly volatile and prone to huge price swings. Besides the infrastructure not really being there to be Real currencies, um, so I think, yeah, you have to you have to consider what kind of relationship do you think you want to have with money, and money should have with the state. Um, I think perhaps there's room for stuff that's made by private companies to sort of have value in this way, but to, sort of tokens like we talk about. But I don't know if it should be called money or should be called cryptocurrency. Uh, I don't really think it, it should
0: securities, maybe.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like no. even. You know the the easy comparison also is it, when you're buying a stock um, you know you are essentially are, are supporting that company you're buying into their sort of their revenue stream you might get dividends or something like that it's tied to some real world value of course like this is very complicated and it's not always true and you know ten percent of Americans own something like ninety percent of stocks something like that um, but of course in crypto there's no real underlying inherent value there's nothing saying that um bitcoin needs to be worth forty thousand dollars per coin or that or even that you know the te- a tether coin needs to always be pegged to a dollar so there's just so much built-in uncertainty and so much sort of unreality in mm-hmm. the in the crypto economy that for me that that means it can um, i i sort of doubt how it can ever be stable really
0: so are you do you know about alex gladstein
1: yeah yeah i've gone toe-to-toe with him once or twice on twitter yeah
0: yeah um i think that's usually usually when i bring him up that's what (laughs) that's what i hear um so so he works are you familiar with the the human rights foundation uh i've heard of it Um, okay i
1: don't know a ton about it but yeah
0: so they have this bitcoin development fund which touts blockchain's ability to help like human rights activists in authoritarian countries. Um, and the, the sort of exact dimensions of that are, are a bit unclear. Um, but they've given away like a lot of money to people working on like educational and scalability projects, uh, like like relating to Bitcoin and mostly in Africa and Asia, um, about a million dollars so far given away. Um, but when you, when you dig deeper into the, like present applications for crypto under authoritarian regimes, it seems to mostly amount to like getting air air gap devices into countries that have issues accessing traditional banking and the American dollar. So is cryptocurrency's most laudable application ultimately just about facilitating capital flight from places like Belarus and Venezuela?
1: I do wonder about that. Um, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind and sort of leave some room for saying, hey, well, maybe the remittance issue is, is sort of one of the last areas where crypto might do some good, even though um, a lot of people can send mo- can send money via Venmo or traditional banks or Western Union, things like that. But certainly, you know, in authoritarian countries or places where the rule of law has fallen apart, it's more understandable, I think. But, you know, there are a couple of things you have to ask. Um, yeah, you know, one, that is a form of capital flight it isn't necessarily healthy for the home country, but... You know, it's hard to feel any sympathy for sort of the the, the for the government of be- Belarus, you know, you may want its economy to be in decent shape. But, you know, uh, it, it there it raises other questions about sort of the, the differences in outcome. And and what does it mean when, you know, a few people might have access to, to crypto or to crypto resources in a country with a very volatile or, or troubled economy? But most people probably don't. And then the last thing that I also think of is you know what what are they actually getting and you know what company what you know if you're if you're exchanging your uh Nigerian currency for for tether um and Nigeria sort of has a troubled economy from what i understand uh, you know it's understandable but what is tether tether is an, a company that's widely considered quite sketchy i mean I'll, i won't give the whole rundown but um we, we've talked about you know, it <laughs> yeah some of these some of these companies you know uh put tether aside even some uh, Scams are very common in crypto. A lot of the, the the business models are basically Ponzi schemes. I mean, Bitcoin is arguably a Ponzi scheme that's basically based on the greater fool theory. That you just want to sell it to someone who believes it's more valuable than you than you do, and that's where all the value comes from. So, you know, like while we want people to sort of be in control of their economic destiny, I certainly believe that in a lot of, in most ways. I also wonder what does it mean when the main alternative seems to be to connect yourself to to potentially sketchy, unreliable, even criminal. Uh, crypto economic actors that that I find troubling. I mean, maybe it, it is making the best of a of a bad lot. Um, it is an area I do want to look at more too. I think it is how, how does this actually shake out? Because I, I hear people like Gladstone talk about it on Twitter, and I, I do try to take it to heart. But I do wonder, you know, it is you know is Tether the real lifeline to Nigeria or Myanmar that it's it's portrayed as? And I, I have my doubts. And you know, there is also something to be said for the fact that. Um, as much as you might see it as sort of a lifeline for a troubled economy, it may also just further destabilize that economy and and underline the mon- undermine the monetary policy that 's already there so you know some people might be benefiting from it, but it might arguably be a net negative
0: mm-hmm. the The Human rights Foundation is kind of trading off of the like legitimacy of the sort of this entire international apparatus of like non-governmental organizations that have varying relationships with states and, and the un and sort of all this sort of stuff and so there's kind of this patina of of like that legitimacy that they are sort of lending to the to these cryptocurrency projects which mostly seem to be geared towards like helping people you know in authoritarian countries who are, who are already doing relatively well. Right. And yeah, so we're, we're talking yeah. about, we're, and so what, what we're talking about, and I think this is often conflated, especially when people on the right will invoke human rights is that they'll, they'll talk mainly about like protecting the property rights of certain fa- other factions competing, maybe sympathetic factions in these, in these authoritarian countries. And that I think that that, yeah, you, I think you unquestionably can imagine a use case for, you know, uh, uh, someone in the competing faction of the ruling class in Venezuela who found themselves on the outs with the regime or something like that. But but beyond that, you know, I, I really do struggle to <laughs> to imagine it.
1: You, they also have to think like, you know, well, what does human rights mean? I mean, that's sort of a general lofty question. But, you know, it's not just about money or someone spending power or having control over their own wealth. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes into that. And what I worry about, I mean, I don't know if Human Rights Foundation counts this way, but, you know, a lot of people who do support Bitcoin ostensibly on the basis of its uh, liberty enhancing qualities, if you want to put it that way, seem rather indifferent to other forms of freedom or human rights or uh, right. other protections of whether it's about speech or mm-hmm. or really anything else. I mean. Yeah. Uh, this is a little bit of a diversion, but I always wonder this when I hear people talk about community in, in crypto or in, especially in NFTs and Web3 and stuff like that. Like, do you believe in other forms of community? Do you know your neighbors? Do you organize in, in where you live? Do you are you politically active? Things like that. Like, uh, it doesn't mean that community doesn't have a place in the in the crypto world. But, you know, there's a way in which people's sort of beliefs or interests can be na- very narrowly focused. So if you're only focused on people's spending power or inflation. Or protecting them against inflation. Well, you might be missing out on a lot of other things, or you might end up supporting Nayib Bukele of El Salvador, who is not a, a small D Democrat.
0: One of the reasons I'm very interested in the Human Rights Foundation is because I think that that um, like that dichotomy in the the notion of like rights and community in the among you know Bitcoiners also exists in the world of human rights, uh, NGOs and everything that there, there is a very conscious focus on like civil and political rights, um, oftentimes prioritized significantly over, you know, economic social rights, you know, the, these kinds of things. And that, um, so that, so to see the human rights F- foundation, you know, find purchase in that world, you know, it's kind of makes sense because that, that, that's sort of already the, um, the the posture of the international NGO community towards um, towards human rights, you know, is is these the, the favoring of of a certain kind of rights, a certain kind yeah. of freedom over over other kinds of freedom.
1: We should always be suspicious when when a new technology is hyped and when you hear about its supposedly emancipatory potential. I mean, we heard that for various iterations of the internet, that it was going to connect all of us, create great economic opportunity. Uh, I mean, Facebook used to have a, a website, this was like 10 years ago, About, but I think they might have gotten rid of it, it was facebook.com slash peace, and it was all about how Facebook was going to make a more peaceful world, because people in India and Pakistan oh would God, talk to I each don't... other, and Palestinians and Israelis would talk to each other. But you know, this is obviously ignorant of, of how power in the world actually works, and I think the same thing is true with crypto. I mean, who's getting rich? Mostly some early adopters and some people who are already rich. I, I, I think people also need to realize that the crypto economy itself is not built to empower people. It's built to, for speculation and really wild, risk-taking speculation, mostly done by people who know what they're doing or like are real insiders, like the people who work for these companies or the people who work for the for the new hedge funds that actually uh, trade on the platforms with high-frequency trading software. Like that's who's making money. With Bitcoin, like I think it's something like point oh one percent of accounts own something like ninety percent of Bitcoin. I mean, first of all, a lot of the Bitcoin doesn't even move. Yeah, um, it just stays there in investment accounts or in accounts that are abandoned or people f- lost the passwords. So you have to take. There's twenty one million Bitcoin. Most have been distributed, but then there are a whole bunch that they're not in use. Then there's some that don't even move. So then, like, where's the liquidity in the market?
0: They're, they're sitting in the the coffers of your future neo feudal lord.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally, you know there's a child tax credit that expired under biden recently and the the child poverty rate increased by something like 20 or 30 percent overnight when that it's very simple you know like we we act like this stuff is complicated but mostly people need money they need they need fiat they need dollars they need health care right. they need their jobs insured they don't need a, a speculative cryptocurrency to lift mm-hmm. them out of poverty
0: yeah I, i'm fascinated too by the uh, sort of the predatory like tendencies. I, I think, you know, you'll you'll listen to sort of people like Austin and I we're, we're in our, our mid twenties and you know you will listen to people about our age who are sort of just starting to get, you know, a little a little bit of money. And you know, they'll they'll be talking about sort of like their, their burgeoning like gambling problem. And then we'll pivot like like seamlessly into the money that they invested in crypto, and I, I don't think yeah. that's necessarily an accident. I think that that as sort of gambling laws have gotten a little bit looser in the United States, that that cr- there's been an effort to sort of market crypto in that same sector a little bit. And and I, I it's it's it, it it would it seems strange that you know a currency, right? Mm-hmm. Something that you know that's supposed to have this sort of like social value or whatever would would market itself in such a predatory way.
1: Yeah, and I think that really gets to something that's at the heart of this stuff, which is, it's called investing, but it's not. It's really gambling. Um, It's often gambling where you don't necessarily know the odds or the rules of the of the casino. But Mm -hmm. these are much more comparable these tokens to casino chips or something like that. I mean, even Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, has referred, I think, to Tether as casino chips. I mean, those are basically the chips that are used at most casinos. Um, And you know the 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 attitude and the marketing and the presentation so and sort of how these exchanges operate are a lot like casinos. There are a lot of giveaways. There's gamification. There's sort of encouragement to beat other people. There's a, there's so much hype, Um and this sort of goes back also to what we were saying earlier, earlier about the celebrities and stuff. I mean, this is an influencer economy and a hype economy. The the whole crypto thing. There are no underlying fundamentals really. Um You might argue that there are some according to certain obscure DeFi protocols or something like that but in general there are no underlying fundamentals so it's about who's hyping it you know what kind of numbers are attached to it what's the what's the supposed volume but a lot of those numbers are fake uh so much of the information you, you get about crypto whether it's on social media or or wherever else is not real i mean there have been studies that have found that most crypto exchanges are 80 to 90% wash trading, which is essentially fake trading or trading between accounts that the same person controls, mm-hmm. which creates the illusion of volume and it drives price activity and stuff like that. So I think what people don't realize is not only that just it's not just more topsy-turvy or like you're taking more risks, it's a wholly unregulated and probably rigged and really in kind of opaque economy. That's running according to many different or totally different principles, really, than you're used to in other investment contexts. And of course, if things go wrong, like you're, you're screwed.
0: You wrote recently that uh, Mayor Eric Adams' decision to take his paycheck in cryptocurrency was embarrassing. Um, why is that?
1: I because I, well, one, it's a stunt. Uh, you know, it's just to get his his name in media and to please a bunch of. Uh, Bitcoin maxis and venture capitalists and people like that. Uh, So, and it's just, it's really sort of a, a sop to the crypto rich, I'd say, or sort of the, those kinds of folks and and that part of the tech industry. I mean, one quick aside, which I think is interesting is that crypto does seem very divisive within the tech industry. I'd argue Um, there -hmm. are people, especially gaming companies who hate this stuff, but anyway, um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I'm not some great nationalist that thinks that, you know, American politicians should just, brag about the dollar all day or something like that. I mean, Trump does say that he thinks that Bitcoin is bad because it competes with the dollar. But, you know, <laughs> to give him the slightest small Scotia credit, there might be something to that just in terms of when we're talking about political sovereignty over money, mm-hmm. what politicians should do in terms of what kind of uh, economic activity they should encourage or oversee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't see why it's a mayor's job to encourage the use of volatile private currencies that might harm people. And then The other thing that I would really like to know an answer to besides this idea of poverty alleviation is like, what kind of innovation do you want? Because that's what I hear a lot is that we're going to make Bitcoin or New York a crypto or Bitcoin hub. uh, I think it was today or yesterday, Jared, Jared, Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, met with Vitalik from Ethereum and said he was going to make Colorado into a digital state. And it's like, you know, the stuff sounds good when you say it on Twitter, maybe because like you get lots of likes and, and appreciation from NFT profile pictures. But like, what does this stuff mean? <laughs> uh, what do you want to do? What do you want? Like, what are we innovating toward? And I think that is one question that's still not really answered in some ways by the crypto industry. I mean, there's a, a lot of froth and excitement and money surging in, but it's just you know, hype. what what are you making? What yeah. what are you gonna? You're not gonna overturn the monetary system. So what are you doing besides making sort of new casinos? Um, I'm not really sure yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and everyone, um, you know, it, it seems like the, the really savvy players are the ones who run, you know, giant discords where they all you know pump and dump a a shit coin you know once a week or whatever and then um you know so that so that just just as just as the pump and dump starts you see all of these big whales you know cash out
1: their yeah Yeah. their their shit coin i think people also don't want to believe this maybe goes back to the libertarian thing or the idea that you're kind of striking out on your own with crypto and you're gonna you're smart you're smart you'll be able to figure this out blah 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 like yeah you could be smart but like um you know, a lot of people don't realize that the level of manipulation we're talking about, or that there are pump and dumps on Binance and other big platforms every week, and that you know, I some people get mad at me because because I focus a lot on the, the negative aspects of crypto, the scams, mm. man, the manipulation, the rug pulls, and all that stuff. But I think it's important because one, I truly think I mean, there are ways in which you can probably assess this quantitatively, but I think it's a huge part of the economy. It, it's a fundamental part of the crypto economy. There are there are aspects of crypto that make these kinds of scams much easier. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested in this too, because it seems
0: like, you know, when you, what you ultimately have to, to prove uh, sort of within the, the argument that crypto proponents will make is that there's something about cryptocurrency that is particularly socially corrosive, right? That seems to be like that. That's the demand of their argument. Um, You know? And so I think that, I think that that's the real challenge in amongst crypto, critical or skeptical journalists is to demonstrate that, that there is something particularly socially corrosive about cryptocurrency. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I think about, uh, Kazakhstan where, you know, you see a, a country that's energy scarce, having its energy crisis heightened by becoming, um, you know, the one of the world leaders in in, in cryptocurrency mining, a, a fifth mm-hmm. of Bitcoin's hash rate or, you mm-hmm. know, comes out of cryptocurrency exactly. or comes out of Kazakhstan right now. Um, and I think that that that's sort of the the ground, I think, for making this argument is because I think that Ka- the the example of Kazakhstan becomes more and more applicable as we move forward in the century. Right. Mm-hmm. That as, as more and more places, you know, confront a scarcity of energy that we're going to see cryptocurrency behaving as this accelerant or as this corrosive you know, substance. And, and I think that yeah. Kazakhstan is really interesting to look at as a case study because I, I, f- I fear that it, it, it becomes instructive, it becomes applicable as we, as we sort of go on.
1: You have all these countries like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Kosovo, where the electric grids are, are basically uh, being snarled under Bitcoin mining demand. Um, so there are real material costs to this stuff. Yeah. And that's why some of these countries, including some more authoritarian ones, want to kick up the Bitcoin miners, because mm-hmm. it's no joke. And the idea that like you can just use stranded energy or renewable energy as, as if there's no cost to that either mm-hmm. um, is not accurate. And I think the social cost is something that we're going to have to really figure out, especially now that we have this new bubble. Um, there's a great article maybe last month in the Associated Press, uh, but it's basically about a town in Brazil where someone started a Bitcoin Ponzi scheme, and he was paying out high returns to people. But then there started to be all these competing Ponzi schemes. People were oh, trying to kill each other. There were wow. I think there were a couple murders. And I thought it was fascinating and troubling, but it shows how socially corrosive this stuff can be in the yeah. exact way you're talking about, because yeah. it sort of there were all these proliferating um, kind of criminal ventures and it all undermines uh, social cohesion and trust in some really remarkable and troubling ways. And I think also when you add to that that a lot of these companies are just not trustworthy. And when some of these companies go under, when there are going to be more rug pulls and more deceit and more scams built in this industry or more just lack of concern for what happens to people in this industry, which is another feature. I'm writing a story right now about Binance when a bunch of Binance customers lost a lot of money during a technical outage and they basically didn't care and they didn't really even have a helpline that people could call. So it, it varies in forms from the outright criminal to sort of the indifferent. Because, uh, But I think we're going to start to see more of that and sort of understand more that, you know, this really undermines communities.
2: Michael and I have kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, you, you see, for example, kind of like versions of the microstate like Miami and New York mm-hmm. kind of coming up with their own, their own coins. But we've sort of had several discussions at this point about the potential of like the larger state, the intelligence community, kind of getting involved in creating ops, you know, whether it's funding, funding certain media outlets, basically to publish stuff that's critical of this and and all that. Um, So I don't know, it's just, it's a, that's been one of the more kind of fascinating sort of things to speculate upon um, in our, our conversations about this.
0: If you have a need for, for, for black budgets, if you're one of those kinds of organizations, um, you know, it's definitely in your interest for all of this to be floating around out there.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I can assure you I'm not on the CIA payroll, but um, <laughs> I'm sure they have an interest in crypto because, yeah, black budgets, anything off the books, money that can be moved potentially discreetly. Like
0: in the context of the Seminole County story and like, you know, Joel Greenberg, part of the reason that I think it fits within sort of the themes of our show, uh, you know, is because I I suspect that... Um, as we go forward characters like Joel Greenberg will become you know more common right and i think especially if if cryptocurrency is to continue to to sort of proliferate we're going to begin to see you know more Joel Greenbergs and i i wanted you know to just ask you know do you do you think we're going to see you know a diminishment of cryptocurrency or are we going to see its prolifer- proliferation? You know, will the Joel Greenbergs inherit the Earth? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's very possible. I mean, it, it's hard to tell where we're at in terms of the life cycle of crypto. Who can actually know? I, I do right. think we're approaching some sort of major crash. I mean we've had a a, a pretty big drawdown since November when a lot of currencies were at their all time high. Um You know, crashes in crypto can can vary depending on your point of view. I mean, for some people, a 40% crash is nothing um, or just another day of the week. But I do think also right now it hasn't become uh, sort of as kind of toxic or questionable as I might like it to be, especially for local politicians to get into crypto. Uh, This goes back to the Eric Adams thing and and Joel Greenberg. So I think what you are going to see in the near future, a lot of people, this is a Citicoin thing too, which is. Cities are looking for more revenue. Politicians want to seem innovative. They want to seem on the cutting edge of things. They have partners or friends in, in, in uh, private industry who can help them out with this stuff. It's easy to skim money potentially from this stuff, which I'm sure Joel Greenberg was doing, and, and to sort of work towards your own, your own purposes. So I think a lot of cities, big and small, are going to try things like Citicoin. I think they'll, it eventually might acquire a bad reputation. I mean, CityCoin already has problems. The, the price of Miami coin has crashed tremendously. Mm-hmm. Though supposedly Miami wasn't expecting a lot of revenue from it. Um, that's one area I'd like to look into more. But yeah, I think there's no political cost really yet to this kind of stuff. So, so you, that's why you see even Democratic Congress people and others sort of paying lip service to crypto because, again, those social costs that we've been talking about haven't been fully quantified. We're still sort of in the frothy enthusiasm stage. You still have LeBron on TV talking about how okay. crypto is the way to build generational wealth for marginalized groups and stuff and oh my it's God. pretty troubling but yeah. like the it, it hasn't broken through i think to the mainstream there are a lot of people who i talk to on twitter who think that these are all scams and tr- and risky but a lot of people don't really see that yet and maybe that will take another wider crash i mean i think the crypto market's probably around 1.5 trillion right now it depends you know there's no reason why it can't go to zero i don't think it will but it's different than say a housing bubble where there's an underlying asset here you have a lot of Uh, leverage built in, a lot of stress on the system, and not really underlying value, so it could be really bad. Um, I don't think it would necessarily crash the overall economy, but you could see a lot of people lose, a lot of everyday people lose what they have. And uh, again, I think you're going to have social effects. It's going to be a while before kind of a coherent sort of opposition or opposition narrative maybe uh, is established. Well, in, in the meantime,
0: we'll uh, enjoy diving headfirst into the piles of money. Uh, we're all making writing about it. I, um, I love my
1: fake digital money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for uh, joining us this week on Pro. You can read um, Jacob Silverman's reporting at The New Republic and a whole range of other media outlets. Um, Jacob, is there anything you'd like to to mention before we go?
1: Uh, no, that's it. Uh, you know, Look me up on Twitter if you want, Silverman Jacob, always glad to talk to folks. Uh, and my DMs are always open, Like whether you're a Bitcoin maxi or you're someone who's just been scammed. Of course, I, I lean towards some of those scam stories because I want to help warn people. But I, I like to talk to anyone uh, related to crypto, so feel free to reach out. All right. Awesome. His DMs are open. <laughs> that's right. Slide on in.
0: <laughs> cool. This is an independently produced podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at COINTELPROPOD and support more of our work on our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes and in our Twitter bio. We'll see you next week on COINTELPRO.